Good morning. morning. And let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we are so in need of your presence and your spirit. We ask that you will join us, enlighten our minds, help us to draw close to you. But we need your wisdom and discernment at this time in history. And many people are struggling with, with very serious circumstances in their lives. And we've received so many emails, and you know all those circumstances. We want to lift all of these people up to you and ask that, that you will intervene in their behalf and give them the wisdom that they need, give them the comfort that uh, you provide, uh, give them the protection of your presence. And may we um, be shining lights for you at this time in history. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We're doing lesson two in the quarterly um, Deuteronomy. And uh, before we get into the lesson, just a couple of announcements. Uh, Last week, uh, we didn't have class because our team was down in Orlando, Florida for the American Association of Christian Counselors World Conference. Over 6,000 people were in attendance. Less than 5% of people wore masks. Everybody were close to proximity, 6,000 people in a big room singing songs together. Um, there's been no report of any type of a super spreader event or outbreak thing happening uh, uh, since that event. We had our booth there, and we gave away over 10,000 items. Uh, could it be this simple? The Remedy New Testament, the Remedy Psalms, God has loved children's book, the meditation guide, and, and many others. Uh, we had um, many people come up to us and tell us how our, our resources have been a blessing to them and their ministries. One man told us he has an addiction recovery program that uh, they've been running for years, and four years ago he came to one of my lectures, and after the lecture went to our booth and got our resources and started using our resources in their uh, recovery program, and he said that since then they've had three to four times the the number of people maintaining their recovery since they've been in, in, implementing the design law principles that, that we have been putting forward, so he was very thankful for that. So just uh, keep in prayer that God will use the resources we distributed to uh, heal more hearts and minds for his kingdom. Remember, our uh, our ministry is in the process of uh, moving toward renovating. We purchased a property just up the street. Uh, we've gotten the initial um, uh, walkthrough from the audio-visual studio guy to give us an outline of what kind of uh, uh, power conduits and things we need, and now we're going towards the architects and the contractors to be able to get the process moving forward. I've been uh, receiving many, many emails over the last uh, month or so, as you can imagine. I'm going to read a couple with you this morning. First email says, Dear Dr. Jennings, I consider myself a Bible-believing Christian who is, at this time, attending a Baptist church. I have been listening to your Bible study class for years. I would like to encourage you to continue the uh, present truth about COVID virus and vaccine. I had COVID in April 2020, was hospitalized for two weeks, and was on oxygen for a month. Uh, I know firsthand how bad the virus can be. We all need to be careful and concerned about others, but the way our government is presenting information and forcing the vaccine is wrong. Please continue to inform people about the lies and point out that this is not God's way. May God continue to bless you in your ministry. Thank you for your email. And then this email. It's a little longer. Dear Dr. Jennings, I want to thank you and tell you how grateful I am for you and uh, how God is speaking through you in these times we are living in. You are spot on with everything I hear that comes from your mouth. I appreciate how honest you are each Sabbath lesson when you start off with the emails that you receive from some of your listeners that are discouraged or don't understand why you speak so much about what is truly going on in our world in your Sabbath school lessons. I also want to express, and I feel this is from God, Keep sharing the truth as you've been and warning people of what's to come, but more importantly, what we as Christians are supposed to be doing in this turbulent time. Thank you, uh, as you've been doing. Thank you. Uh, I, at times, have been frustrated with my fellow Christians around me who are so fearful. I have said many times to them, God's word is very clear when he says, do not fear. He never said, do not fear, except when COVID hits. Back in the beginning of 2020, when all we heard about was COVID, I started praying to the Lord, asking the Lord, what is going on? And by the third day, God gave me peace to the degree that I have not been surprised by anything that has happened. I have watched so many people become deceived, some that I am very surprised by. But your words, Dr. Jennings, and what you are teaching in your lessons have been such a blessing because it's exactly what the Lord revealed to me when he gave me peace. And I believe that God has blessed you with a brilliant mind to do the research and speak truth and to do it boldly for him. Eleven years ago, I know that the Lord unveiled my eyes to how the enemy really works. On April 28, 2010, 
my family faced a horrible tragedy known as the Craigslist murder in Edgewood, Washington, where four people broke into our home, terrorized, zip-tied us, and held a gun to the back of my head with a countdown on it. That night ended tragically in them shooting my husband three times in front of our two boys and killing him. The three of us were spared for some reason to where they probably should have just killed us because we were all witnesses. But I believe God put a hand over us that night for he had plans for us and that was to glorify him just as Genesis 50.20 says, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. My husband Jim Sanders was a Christian man and the love of my life when he was taken in that horrific way with our 10-year-old and 14-year-old boy suffering that tragic night. And so, there with my husband lying on the floor, gasping for his breath and my hand on the doorknob, waiting for the ambulance, I looked up and I said these words that I will never forget. God, if I believe in your holy word, I have to believe it here and now and to trust you. Did you hear that? You want to know what last generation theology is? That's last generation people. When the threats are on and the life's on, that you trust Jesus. So in all the hysteria of the tragic loss of my husband, we then had to go through four separate murder trials and then repeat one of those trials four years later, totaling five murder trials of getting raked over the coals by the murderer's defense attorneys. But through all that, I felt like God showed me what evil really looked like Uh, And supernaturally through him, I was able to separate the evil act from the person and look at them as God created these four people that that did this evil act. And I knew that I was to pray that they would come to know Christ so that it would not destroy me. And also knowing that if we are to be forgiven by Christ, we too have to forgive as well. Let that sink in. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The context, you've heard it say love your neighbor. I say love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. Be ye therefore perfect. This this is what, and those who are ready to meet Christ, these are they who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Two days before my husband's death, we were having a Bible study in our home and a gal asked the question, can murderers go to heaven? And my husband's responded. response was, yes, murderers can go to heaven if they turn their life over to Christ. Two days later, he died on the floor five feet from where he made that statement. I don't think that was by accident that that happened in that way. It was almost like a preparation for what was to come and that I was to continue to carry on the Lord's mission laid out for us. For like myself, Jim so passionately wanted to see people to come to Christ, and I have lived that out since that terrible day, knowing that there is evil in the world and that my discerning spirit now being highly sensitive to the devil's attack since April 28, 2010, has made me so much more aware of his deceitful ways, and I won't let the devil win or take me down. Dr. Jennings, you are right. We have to stand firm in our faith. I believe God has primed me for these days right now, and I am even more convinced because of September 2, 2021. My sister-in-law, 56 years old, who was a very strong Christian, passed away from COVID because she did not get the correct treatment in the hospital like ivermectin. And just like everything uh, you've talked about, we do have a cure, but they aren't spending the time on curing people because the government does not care. They just want everybody to get vaccinated, which is such a work of Satan. What she's talking about here is the coercive mandates and force, which is satanic. My sister-in-law passed away on her oldest son's birthday, and it has been very frustrating to lose her in this way, and tragically for the family, we all now have to live without her. She has been taken out of this turbulent world, but we remain here. Therefore, I know that God has a purpose and a plan for us to stand firm in our faith and to behold and be bold for him. Dr. Jennings, I want to share a little bit of my story because I know truly, um, I know you truly are one that really gets, gets it and what is really going on here and who is behind it. So in closing... I want to share with you how I became a listener of yours. 
It was the video you did on homosexuality and Christianity. My son, that was 10 years old at the time of our tragedy, told me after he graduated high school that he was gay. It definitely was a shock. He is now 22 and a Christian, raised from birth to love Jesus. It has saddened me because he has been in torment at times because of how some Christians have made him feel because of the way he feels he was created and who he is. Your video was such a huge blessing. My son has been researching on his own just to make himself feel better about everything since he felt like he wasn't accepted by Christians. Well, we listened to your video, and it was life-changing and definitely brought tears to both of our eyes. It helped us to understand the biological part of creation. I've watched your video seven times. I especially love how you ended the video by saying to Christians, if you still do not believe or even look at the possibility in how they were created, then you still have to look at Christ's love, and that is the most important thing. For if we don't show Christ's love, how are we ever going to draw anybody to him? And in these times, I so agree with you that from day one of this world, uh, of this world COVID thing, this whole COVID thing, Christians, some, need to wake up. I know this is an extremely long email, and if you made it through all of it, I thank you for taking the time. Many blessings to you and all those who make your ministry possible. In Christ, Charlene Sanders Altman. Do you think she's experienced evil in this world? Do you recognize the power of God's methods of truth, love, freedom that helped her overcome the assault of evil? And the assault of evil is not just the murder of her husband. The murder of her husband then assaulted her heart and mind with temptations of anger and bitterness and resentment, and she had to fight those feelings and choose who is she going to follow. Is she going to follow the systems of the world, or is she going to follow the principles of love. And she forgave and prayed for the salvation, prays for the salvation of those who murdered her husband. Do you think she is right in recognizing fear infecting Christianity and how many people are being manipulated in society by fear today? Fear is an intruder. It is part of sin. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and hid because they were afraid. We cannot overcome fear by might, by power, by threat, by rules, legislation, coercion, control, forced obedience, or destruction of those who make us afraid. We can't overcome fear that way. What's the only way to overcome fear? Perfect love. Cast out all fear. And where do we find such perfect love? Perfect love is in Christ. That's where we find it. Can you find perfect love in any human government, any new law, any new elected official? No. We will never get rid of the fear in our hearts, minds, or societies by more human government. It's only through God's love in the hearts of people that we can fight the fear. Returning to worship Him who made the heavens the earth, the sea, and fountains of water. It is returning to the creator worship whose laws are design laws. We cannot win the war through imposed laws, mandates, executive orders. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we use, they're not worldly. They have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought. It is the truth presented in love leaving people free that wins the day. So, Anybody want to make a comment? We'll turn to Sabbath's lesson. Well, I'd like to say that uh, I underwent a double lung transplant four and a half years ago as a result of CF. And um, the only way I could have survived it was because of my faith. And uh, before it happened, I had a, an, an epiphany. I mean, the Holy Spirit came upon me in a way I'd never felt before. And uh, I'm sitting here today because of that. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I can say that fear is crippling. Yes, it is. And um, if we, the, the only thing that we have is Christ to help us with that. The Thank only you. The real thing that could work. Thank you. Sabbath's lesson starts out, Moses gives them a history lesson, a theme that is repeated all through the Bible. Remember what the Lord has done for you in the past. 
And then quotes uh, from Life Sketches, 196. This admonition should mean something to us. We are on the borders of a better promised land. In reviewing our past history, having traveled over every step of advance to our present standing, I am filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as leader. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us in his teachings in our past history. What a perfect quote for where we find ourselves in history today, where we find ourselves living. Are any of you or anybody you know afraid for the future? In my practice, every day people are terrified of what's coming, the future, the future, the future. And Christians, and Adventist Christians, I get emails from all the time, terrified of what's coming on the world, fearful for the future. Do we need to fear the future? One no. Why does the future, what does the future hold for the faithful? Here is our God. Okay, so ultimately, the end is we see Jesus face to face, for we shall be like him. Second coming. That's the end. That's where new heaven, new earth. That's where it holds. Uh, Is there anything that holds between where we are and, and that end? Is there anything else happening in there? And what's between here and that end? The process of healing. I'm okay. going to be healed. Okay. All right. And what's that process entail? How do you purify gold? Does the Bible use that metaphor about us? Yes. Purify the Levites. So what we can expect <clears throat> for the faithful, trials, difficulties, temptations, tribulations, because, why will this happen? Because Satan hates Jesus and attacks those Jesus loves. One. Two. Because events will unfold in such a way that every single person on earth will decide for or against Jesus in the laws and methods they apply to their practices in life and how they treat others. I'll say that again. Every person on earth is going to be faced with circumstances where they choose what law they apply. Like this person, Charlene, after what happened to her, she had to choose what law she was going to apply to her life and how she treated the people who murdered her her husband. And in so making that choice in how we treat others, we are solidified, we mature, we grow either in godliness and have the character of Christ sealed within us, or we embed, implant, and solidify ourselves into the satanic mold. These circumstances, the the greatest growth does not happen when all things are going well. The greatest decisions for Christ do not happen when things are easy. And this is happening right now. I can't tell you the emails I get from people All over the world, in multiple countries, I get these emails of people who are being threatened in their job, threatened to lose their professional licenses, having their businesses threatened because they won't comply with governmental mandates. We have nothing to fear for the future except we forget how the Lord has led in the past. How has the Lord led you in the past in a way that gives you courage for the future? We heard one. You know your life is saved with the Lord. Come and Reason started out as a weekly Bible study class, but the message of God's character of love and his design laws was not appreciated by everybody where we were teaching, and some in leadership who prefer an imperial God with imposed rules who's a source of pain and suffering, who inflicts, inflicts on the wicked, did not like what we were teaching, and our class was canceled, and we were banned from the local church facility and the college properties. And we had letters and emails and videos made about us that misrepresented us, and we were tempted with emotions. We were hurt, we were frustrated, we were angry, and we were tempted to retaliate, to hit back, to go to war against the local leaders. But instead, we prayed and asked God to take away our hurt and our anger And we prayed for those who were mistreating us. And it was not instant. It was a process. But our feelings changed. 
And we established Come and Reason Ministries as a not-for-profit Christian organization and began producing materials and this uh, class weekly and other materials that we've been distributing. And over the last 11 years, we have distributed, um, I can't even tell you the numbers of resources we've distributed. And we have a hub in South Africa. We have a hub in Australia, also sharing our resources there. And the ministry keeps growing. And I will tell you, we would have never formed this ministry had they just, we, we had a class with about 185 people coming every week. And we felt very fulfilled in doing that. And had they not taken the action to boot us, we'd probably still teach 185 people. We're reaching tens of thousands every week now. So many more. There's a lesson when, we, when faced with adversity, when, when, mis, when mistreated, when lied about, when the feelings of injustice, anger, resentment, the desire to lash back arise, it's then that we must go to Jesus and ask him to fill our hearts with love for our enemies, to pray for those who mistreat us. For it's at times of adversity that several critical things happen. One, times of adversity is when God reveals his methods and power through his faithful most brightly. It was Daniel in the lion's den. It was the three worthies in the fiery furnace. It was Stephen being stoned. It is times, it is the martyrs in the arena of Rome. It is the reformers at the stake. It is times of adversity that God's character shines most brightly in those who trust him. And what else in addition to revealing? Yes. If the best for a Christian is to go through times of trouble, does God bring that trouble? So it depends on the trouble. You can call it trouble. God brings discipline. And then there are adversities that he does not bring. I do not bring, in the story of Charlene, I do not believe God brought those people into her home to murder her husband. Thank you. Okay. Conversely, though, um, God will discipline, and we can see examples where God brings discipline to those. Um, you could see the example of Paul, where he had three days of blindness or so forth. That was a discipline to Paul to help him. And maybe his vision or some other problem never fully resolved after that to remind him and keep him humble. So there is disciplines that the Lord brings, but then there are assaults that the enemy brings. And sometimes people confuse the two. But we can be assured that as time unfolds that, that there will be a, a crescendoing assault against the people of God by those inspired by the enemy of God. We will be assaulted. We will be persecuted in various ways. It could be verbal. It could be um, it could be physical. It could be professionally with your with your reputation assaulted, your license revoked. It could be business wise. A lot of different ways, economic. But we stand firm for God's principles, our opportunity to shine that we stay gracious and loving, and we don't become hateful towards those who would mistreat us. And then during that time, we exercise our faith in God. We and, and it's through the exercise of our faith in the tribulation, in the trial, in the struggle, that our faith grows. One of the laws of the Lord, the law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. Your faith has to be exercised, which means you have to face things that you can't handle in your own strength and trust the Lord with the outcome. You stay faithful to what you know the Lord has called you to do. You trust him with how it turns out. That's an exercise of faith. Yes, Linda. I read that people, people who uh, purify silver, real silver, they, they attend to the process pretty closely. They put it in the fire, they back it out, they watch it, and then someone asks them, how can you tell when it's totally purified? He said, that's easy, I can see my reflection in it. Yeah, that's nice, nice, nice metaphor. And then our characters, as we exercise our faith, as we trust him with outcomes, we stop seeking to to use the methods of the world to protect self, to advance self. Our characters are solidified into godliness as we have love overwrite the fear and we become like Revelation 12, though these are they who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Fear never controls us anymore. Sunday's lesson. The lesson points our attention to Exodus 32, 31 to 32, Right after the Israelites have made a golden calf and God threatens to destroy them, talking to Moses, threatens to destroy them and start over with Moses. 
Moses asked God to forgive um, them and, and, or, or blot his name out of the book. And if we look at the second paragraph down, it says, Even though Moses had nothing to do with the sin, he sought to intercede for the sinful people, even being willing to lose his own soul in their behalf. Fascinatingly enough, Exodus 32:32, when Moses asked God to forgive their sins, the verb actually means to bear. Thus Moses, understanding the gravity of sin and what it took to atone for it, asked God indeed to bear their sin, and that is because this is the only way, ultimately, that their sin any sin could be forgiven. What law lens do you hear this through? Imposed law, legal system, or do you hear it through design law? If we read this through human law lens that God's government runs like a human government, which is the way these things are often described, then sin is a legal problem with God, and in order to be just, he must inflict the proper punishment upon uh, the sinner, that they would not otherwise reap if he just had a little anger management control. But since he doesn't, he gets wrathful at our sin. He has to lash out and punish it. Um, but, uh, but God loves us also, even though he's angry at us. He loves us. So he sent Jesus and put all the sins of every person that have ever been committed through all time in history, past, present, and future, upon Jesus and punish Jesus in our place to pay the legal requirements for sin. But if we understand God's law as design law, then we understand something different is transpiring. Sin takes a person out of harmony with the law that God built life to operate upon. We are dead in trespass and sin. You and I did not choose to be sinners. Think that through. Ask the question, when did you in your life choose to be a sinner? We are born in sin, conceived in iniquity, Psalms 51.5. Adam chose to be a sinner, and then he produced beings in his image. We are born not guilty. We are born terminal. We're born dead in trespass and sin. We're born with a condition that's out of harmony with God's design. And if we don't get remedy, we die from the condition. This is uh, what, 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 so we're not born legally in trouble. We're born literally with a condition that if it's not cured, will result in our death. And so we believe in substitution, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You will hear the, the opponents of my class frequently allege that Jennings doesn't believe in substitutionary atonement. Nothing's further from the truth. But we believe biblical substitution. So I'll give you the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Right there. Substitution, right? And here's the reason. So that we might be declared legally righteous even though we still remain unrighteous. No, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's actual. It's literal. It's transformational. The law of sin and death is replaced with the law of love. Write my law in your heart and mind. And the fear and selfishness drives us to act like the world, to retaliate, to hate, to seek out, to punish, is replaced with a law that causes us to pray for our family's murderers. That's not the way of the world. That's the law of God being restored in the heart. That's a heart that's been reborn. And so we couldn't have this except Jesus became sin for us and overcame those temptations so that we, in our own strength, don't understand. Jesus overcame in his own strength. We never overcome in our own strength. We always overcome in union with him and the indwelling spirit empowering us. And thus Jesus became the new head of humanity, the second Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. God's law is vindicated. God's character is vindicated. God's designed protocols for life are restored into the species human in the person of Jesus. And all who trust Jesus receive from him his presence. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We get a new heart and right spirit. Thus God can be just and the justifier of him who trusts in Jesus. So yesterday I was reading in the book, The Great Controversy. And the chapter, The Origin of Sin. If you haven't read that chapter recently, I really recommend you go back, open the book, read the chapter, The Origin of Sin. It's quite profound and powerful. And, uh, and I'm going to read a few sections out of that chapter. This is uh, starting on page 500. The same spirit that prompted rebellion in heaven still inspires rebellion on earth. Satan has continued with men the same policy which he pursued with angels. His spirit now reigns in the children of the disobedient. Or the children of disobedience. Like him, they seek 
to break down the restraints of the law of God and promise men liberty through transgression of its precepts. Pause. How do you, what law lens you hear net through? How does Satan seek to get humans to break down this, the restraints of the law of God and promise them liberty in doing so? What's your body? You're free. Put any substance you want in it. You have the liberty to smoke and do drugs and drink bottled vodka every day, which violates the laws of health. The laws of health are one of God's laws. And if you violate the laws of health, do you actually get more liberty or do you get more disability and thus you can't climb stairs because you got bad COPD and you have to wear oxygen because you smoke so much? So you're more enslaved to the sickness. This is what he does. Yes, you have freedom under God's design to make a choice to break his law, but every breach in God's actual laws enslave you. They don't give you freedom. So how does he do this? Lies believe, break the circle of love and trust. Remember that? You're in a loving marriage and somebody tells you a lie, your spouse is cheating, but they're not, but you believe they are. What happens inside you? Something changes. Love and trust is broken. Fear and selfishness arise. Fear and selfishness, I've got to protect myself. I've got to watch out for me now because I believe my spouse is cheating. Even though they're not, I believe it, so I'm, I'm afraid now. This is what, this is what sin is. liar tells lies about God. Lies believe, break the circle of love and trust. Love and, broken love and trust result in fear and selfishness, and that results in acts of sin. I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta protect myself. I live in a world where I can't trust people. I live in a world where, where people are a threat to me. I've gotta control things. I gotta control, I know what I'll do. I'll pass laws. I'll get an army. I'll get a police force. I'll get control of the government. I will pass laws and I will make people comply and live the way I, and it'll make me safe. And so he seeks to get people to break God's law through the passing of laws. Did you hear that? He gets people to break God's law through the passing of laws. While they claim to be law abiders. If you, th- if you remember our, our presentation on the seven levels of moral decision making, levels one through four all make decisions based on the me motive, the self motive, the fear motive. Level five is the level where we have love for others becomes our motive. We love others more than self. Levels one through four are all about law, rules, and obedience. That's what they're all about. Not getting in trouble. And if you look at history, only about 25 to 30% of people ever achieve level five. Only about 25 to 30% of people ever achieve level five where they love others more than self. The vast majority of a population always is more immature in their decision-making. And so if you, anybody read my blog for this week, I encourage you to read it. It's called COVID and the Genocide Playbook. How does a society take people who are t- trying to be good people law-abiding citizens, and get them to participate in genocide. There's a 10-step process. I walk you through that. But one of the things that I didn't say in the blog, I'll say right here, the people who participate in genocide are almost always law-abiding. The Germans who participated, why did they do? Why did they go along with the shutting down of Jewish businesses? Why did they go along with the, uh, the canceling of the Jewish doctor's licenses? Why did they go along with the segregation and the discrimination? It was the law. The government passed the law, and we're, we're to obey the law. We must obey. We don't want to be disobedient. We must obey. Same thing with Jim Crow laws. Why did people do it? Well, some because they were very prejudicial. Of course, there were those people. But many did it because it was the law. Who are we to question the law? And this is how Satan works. It's how he's working now. This is how the beast rises. The beast of Revelation rises to do justice. It's rising to give you a better life. It's rising to protect you. It's going to pass laws to mandate that you behave in this way so that, so that we can save the planet or we can save you from a virus. Or in the dark ages so we can save your soul from hell. But it's to save you that we pass these. So Satan gets people to break God's law by passing laws and obeying laws. Continuing on in this quote, Reproof of sin still arouses the spirit of hatred uh, and resistance. Yes, when you stand up like we're doing and you reprove the penal legal imperialists, those who impose laws and must use power of the state to coerce and force, 
what do they do? They, they attack you. They censure you. They try to silence you. When God's messages, when God's messages of warning are brought home to the conscience, Satan leads men to justify themselves and to seek the, the sympathy of others in their course of sin. Instead of correcting their errors, they excite indignation against the reprover as if he were the sole cause of the difficulty. This is history. Those who speak truth get attacked. Those in darkness don't want to come into the light. We see this happening right now. By the same misrepresentation of the character of God as he had practiced in heaven, causing him to, causing God to be regarded as severe and tyrannical, Satan introduced man to sin. And having succeeded thus far, he declared that God's unjust restrictions had led to man's fall and they had led, uh, and they had led to his own rebellion. God's unjust restrictions. He misrepresents God as a rule giver, making everything restrictive, uh, uh, inciting uh, a fear of God because God will punish you if you don't do what he says. In other words, the entire character of Satan with imposed law and inflicted punishment he alleges that God's the source of. In the atonement, the character of God is revealed. The mighty argument of the cross demonstrates to the whole universe that the course of sin which Lucifer had chosen was in, in no wise chargeable upon the government of God. It was Satan that prompted the world's rejection of Christ. The prince of evil exerted all of his power and cunning. I want you to listen to this now. All of his power and cunning to destroy Jesus. For he saw that the Savior's mercy and love, his compassion and pitying tenderness, were representing to the world the character of God. What won the day? Well, Jesus had more power. He called lightning down from heaven to zap the devil. What won the day? Mercy, love, compassion, tenderness in the face of the most cruel things the devil could throw at him. Living out God's law of love, truth, liberty while being assaulted by every attack of Satan. And at this time in history, God is calling for a people who will practice his methods and how we live in the face of mistreatment. The big temptation of Satan is going to be to tempt us to do something that is objectively right through his methods. That's the temptation. We are to be lights in a dark world, to reveal the character, to bring him glory by, by doing what? Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. What are we to do? Clinging to Jesus and loving our enemies. And then last section of this quote. The penalty of the law fell upon him. Now I want you to listen to this. I want you to dissect it. These are the types of quotes people that like the, the imperial law view you might throw at you. The penalty of the law fell upon Jesus, him who was equal with God. And man was free to accept the righteousness of Christ and by a life of penitence and humiliation to triumph as the Son of God had triumphed over the power of Satan. Thus God was just and the justifier of all who believe in Jesus. So what do you hear? What law lends? The penalty of the law fell on Jesus. Does that say the punishment of God fell on Jesus? No, it doesn't say the punishment of God fell on The penalty of the law. What law? Why did it fall on Jesus? Jesus, who knew no sin, became sinless. He became born of a woman under law, Galatians 4. He took upon himself the condition which Adam gave the species. He was tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. And we are tempted when we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires, James chapter 1. Jesus experienced a human nature that tempted him with, with emotions, look in Gethsemane, to do what? Save to save self. But with ever temptation, he overcame with love. No one can take my life. I give it freely. Didn't you say that he overcame in his own power? When... Yes, because at the cross, my God, my God, why are you strengthening me, supporting me, and holding me in your hand so closely that I feel your presence? Is that what we hear Christ praying? No. No, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his own strength, he overcame. As a human, he did not have the divine presence of his father strengthening him at that moment. We can never do that. We always overcome imbued with the spirit. 
It is never in our strength. And it says he, you know, all his life. he tread the wine press holding his father's hand. Is that what the Bible says? He tread the wine press alone. But he depended on his father through his life. Yes, he did. He did depend on his father through his life, and he constantly went back to his father in his loving relationship. But at the time of the Gethsemane experience and the cross, he went through that most critical time in faith in his father, but not receiving strength from his father. An angel was sent in Gethsemane to give him a little bit of physical strength right there. Do you remember? Because he was about to die. He hadn't been crucified yet. He was about to die. Why was he given some physical strength? What was the purpose there? Well, because he had a few more hours on the clock to make sure every sin, the past, present, and future of all people receives the proper torment. And he hadn't quite, uh, he hadn't quite uh, suffered for all those sins yet, so he had to keep him alive for another few hours to make sure all, those, all that suffering he got in. Is that why? No. There's very powerful lessons here if you understand design law stuff going on. What's revealed by who crucified him and sought his death? Look at the history of the Jewish people. Their history. There's so many, so many layers of revelation here. And, I, and I'm going to have to move off this because I've got some very important things of what, what the children of Israel did in Deuteronomy we've got to get to. But, but several, several important, multiple layers of important. We can spend the whole afternoon talking about this, and I'm not going to. But I would just tell you this, one, one layer. Looking at the Old Testament, do you see the Jewish people consistently faithful in following the blueprint God gave them in the book of Deuteronomy and the first five books of Moses? Do you see that? No. Or are they constantly going into pagan worship and idol worship and rebel constantly? Okay. And so can angels read hearts and minds? Can they read hearts and minds? They can't. They would never have been deceived by Lucifer in the first place. And so what we find, in my view, one of the reasons why, when Jesus comes, do we have a group of people who on the outside look like they're following the blueprint? Yes, they're finally following it. They're rigidly following it. They've added layers and layers to make sure they follow it. And what's we learn? That when you follow the blueprint without a renewed heart, you become God's enemy and you kill him. It's not about the deeds done. It's, and that's where many Adventists are still stuck. They think it's about the deeds. They think it's about what time you get the TV off on Friday. They think it's about exactly which day you go to church on. It's not about the deeds, folks. It's about the heart. And it, and it revealed it. Here we have the people claiming to be as, and, and following the blueprint. But if the heart is not renewed, if we haven't had the law of God put in the heart, then we become God's enemy, we hate him, and we kill him. So let's, let's go on now to... Oh, we have to answer the question about the pleading real quick. How do we understand this pleading of Moses on the mountain? Remember the context. The context is the great controversy. As soon as Adam sinned, as soon as Adam sinned, can anybody be saved, any human be saved without Jesus? Or is Jesus a requirement for any human salvation after Adam sinned? And so in Genesis 3, the Messiah's promise, the seed of the woman's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to bruise his heel. We have a promised Savior coming, Genesis 3. The whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is that focus. Messiah's coming. Satan's working to obstruct it. That's the whole focus. Every, that's why you don't have much about the Chinese. Not because God doesn't love the Chinese. Messiah is not coming through that branch of the family. That's why we don't read much more after Abraham's uh, children. We don't read much more about Esau's descendants. We're focusing, and it keeps narrowing our focus down. And by the time of Christ, we only actually have two tribes, even of the 12. The other 10 are gone. That's our focus. This is the whole story. Great controversy. Coming Messiah. And in Job, it gives you a glimpse that there's a larger view going on. Angels in heaven are involved. They, at, at the, before the cross, all sympathy for Lucifer hadn't been cast off yet. Satan is still seeking to get more recruits out in the universe, not just here on earth. And so this is the landscape to understand what's happening here as he brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. They can't read hearts and minds. He just showed them the ten plagues, walked them through the sea on dry ground and, and did all these miracles and then worshiping a golden calf. And you can hear Satan going, See, God's, God's tricking you guys. These people. His, his stuff doesn't work. 
They don't want him. So God says to Moses, now think about this thing on the mountain. Do we believe God has foreknowledge? I do. So did he know what what Moses' response was going to be before he actually said to Moses what he was planning to do? And yes, he did. And did God know that after Moses' response that God was not actually going to destroy the people? Did God foreknow that as well? So if God foreknew this was going to be, there was never an intention to destroy the people. He wasn't planning on that. Unlike what we sometimes hear, it's not about God being angry, wrathful, frustrated, impatient. And fortunately, he had a friend in Moses who loved the people and had more patience than God and could intercede and talk him down off the ledge. Which is the way most Christians present this. God was so wrathful and so offended, but fortunately Moses was there to talk him down. Do you know how perverse that is? How disgusting that is? But that's how I've heard it taught so many times in Christianity. But the truth is that God never was about to kill the people and didn't need Moses to plead with them. Instead, he took this opportunity to demonstrate to the angels in heaven, all the onlooking beings, that his methods work. Back to our email from Charlene to show that, yes, murderers can be saved. Remember, remember Moses 40 years ago murdered an overseer. But he spent time with me. And those who spend time with me and come to trust me and open their heart to me, they aren't about advancing themselves anymore. Watch this, universe. I'm going to offer Moses to wipe the people out and start over with him to make him exalted. Watch what he does. And he says that. And what does Moses do? Even when God himself offers to exalt him, Moses says, no, Lord, no. I would rather die than see these people lost. And God looks to the angel and says, see, my methods work. Fear and selfishness are eradicated from hearts and my love is restored within for those who trust me. That's what's happening. All right, Monday's lesson. The, uh, the lesson in Monday is uh, putting us uh, to the object lesson. It's asking what's happened at Kadesh Barnea. And there's, uh, the Bible is not only history of real people doing real stuff through real time, many of the stories of the Bible are also object lessons teaching a larger reality of the great controversy, acting it out, and lessons for us. And I want to go through that with you. Let's, let's just bullet by bullet. The people had been held in captivity in Egypt. This represents being captives in sin and surrounded by pagan or godless worldviews. This represents the entire plan of salvation, humans bound in the slavery of sin, and God leading us out, for sure, out of sin to a heavenly promised land. But it also represents the people of God in the Dark Ages. The Hebrews were God's chosen people to evangelize the world, but they became enslaved in a pagan system by a pagan government. The church became God's chosen people to evangelize the world, but the church became infected with pagan views of God, just as Egypt was pagan. And their methods began to be practiced in the church, and the minds of the Christians became enslaved to a false god construct. So, too, God led the, god led the people out of Egypt. He led the reformers to lead the minds of the people out of pagan views of God that infected the church. God led the Israelites to Sinai, where then he gave them the law and the tabernacle. This represents leading the reformers back to the truth about God's law as design law, and the sanctuary message is cleansing the spirit temple so that we are ready to live in his presence, to be at one with him and tabernacle with him, ultimately the, the promised land. After the law and tabernacle were given, God led the people directly toward the promised land. After God led the reformers to return to God's law and reject the pagan views and embrace the cleansing of the sanctuary message, God led the people to prepare to enter heaven. As God led the people from Sinai towards the promised land, the terrain became more difficult. And the people, primarily with, from the mixed multitude, began to complain. As God led the reformers who were preparing for the second coming of Christ toward the heavenly promised land, difficulties arose, and among those, especially among those who clung to the pagan view of God's laws being imposed. And this view, uh, this view entered the camp, and opposition entered the camp. Those who clung to imposed law, we're not pleased with the direction of the message that God had given his people. 
While God was feeding the people the bread of heaven, the disgruntled mixed multitude people began to clamor for the flesh pots of Egypt. So too, while God has provided truths from heaven to feed our souls and prepare us to, for translation, the disgruntled Christians have clamored for the laws, methods, and practices of this world. Many have rejected the message for this time of God's design laws and have clung to the wine of Babylon, the lie that God's law functions like human law, and salvation is a matter of legal adjustment and record books in heaven. And thus they have a form of godliness with no power. God gave them the meat that they demanded, and they ate the quail until they were sick and many died. So too, when we reject God's design laws and embrace the methods and principles and practices of the world, God lets us have what we insist upon, and the people become more legal, more rules-oriented, more coercive, more controlling, and people get sick, and character becomes corrupted, and millions die. We see this happening right now, and sadly, millions, billions of Christians and Christian organizations are embracing and siding and aligning with the beastly systems of this world, and the church is sick and spiritually dying. God brought the Israelites to the border of the promised land, and God has brought us to the border of heaven. But the report of the ten spies focused on the threats rather than the promises of God. And fear took hold the hearts of the people. As the Advent reformers were advancing the truth, presenting the message of righteousness by faith that would prepare the church to enter the heavenly promised land, Satan's agents in the church diverted the minds away from God's promise to heal and restore to the lie of imposed law and legal declarations. And today, the focus is on the threats from the world rather than the promises of God. And fear is paralyzing the church and God's people. Caleb and Joshua voiced the true message, but the ten unfaithful spies denounced them. In our own history, Jones and Wagner voiced the true message of righteousness by faith, actual righteousness becoming the righteousness of God by faith, pointing to God's design laws and healing of hearts, but they were denounced by the legal adherents, and today we have been um, and we have been pronounced, we have been pronouncing the truth of God's design laws, proclaiming it, and we have been denounced by those who advance governmental mandates and coercion and penalties and compelling force. Then, then Korah, one of the Levites, led, the, led a rebellion against Moses and God's plan to lead the people into the promised land. Likewise, the penal legal adherents in the church led a rebellion against the righteousness by faith message, and the church has been wandering. If you think that's a strong allegation, don't take it from me. This is uh, written by one of the people who were there. Some of you may know, have heard of her. Her name's Ellen White. And uh, she wrote this in three manuscript releases that you can find at page 191, specifically about the 1888 General Conference meeting when the righteousness by faith message was presented. And she was so discouraged she was about to leave. She says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her with this message. When I purposed to leave Minneapolis, the angel of the Lord stood by me and said, Not so. God has a work for you to do in this place. The people are acting over the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. What did these three do at the border of Canaan? What were the people doing at 1888? Continue with this quote. I have placed you in your proper position, which those who are not in the light will not acknowledge. They will not heed your testimony, but I will be with you. My grace and power shall sustain you. What was the message? Second Corinthians 5.21, that we become the righteousness of God. We actually have hearts changed. Like you saw in the, sto- in the email that I read, in the face of ugliness, of evil, loving the enemy rather than seeking to retaliate. This is the actual righteousness. Be ye therefore perfect. Job was perfect and righteous in all his ways. No one on the earth like him. It doesn't mean he was sinless. It means his heart trusted God in the face of all opposition. That's what God is leading us to. That's the message the church is to take to the world. And instead, we have been in the wilderness teaching this lie that you are declared to be legally righteous even though you're not. You're not righteous. You're going to keep sinning. You're going to keep hating. You're going to keep being selfish. You're going to keep retaliating. Yeah, in fact, the way we're going to have security in this world, we need to align our institutions with the government and enforce their mandates. Then we can have safety and security. 
It's so corrupt, folks. Continue on with the quote. It is not you that they are despising, but the messengers and the message I send to my people. The messengers were Jones and Wagner, and the message was healing of hearts and minds by real trust in God, the righteous by faith. They have shown contempt for the word of the Lord. Satan has blinded their eyes and perverted their judgment. And unless every soul shall repent of their sin, this unsanctified independence that is doing insult to the spirit of God, they will walk in darkness. I will remove the candlestick out of his place, except they repent and be converted that I should heal them. What's described? This is the liberty of God. He presents truth and love, but he leaves people free. When the truth comes, you're free to accept it or reject it. If you reject it, your mind becomes less sensitive to truth. You end up closing your mind off to truth. Truth, You become so steeped in darkness that truth has no more impact on you. And without repentance, without rejecting the lies and embracing the truth, God can't heal you. And it's about healing, not legal forgiveness. The leadership of the SDA Church in 1888 General Conference took the position of Korah and rebelled against God and have led the church into the wilderness of a penal legal theology from which the church has never recovered. So when Israel is about to enter the promised land, what did Satan do to interfere with, their, with the plan? He got them, what did he do to get them to stop? Fear messaging. Focus on the fear. Focus on the giants. Focus on the threats. Don't focus on the promises of God. Fear messaging. Worldly living. The flesh pots of Egypt. We want the world can provide. We don't want the food of heaven. We want the, 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 the systems and food and the, and the encouragement of the world. And inspire leaders uh, to value Satan's methods, to challenge God's leaders, and seek temporal safety. We've got to be safe. We've got to be safe. It's not safe. You hear any messaging about safety today? It's all about safety. We aren't here to be safe. We're here to be witnesses. The sad thing is that even though they the two people, Caleb and Joshua, gave a good report, they still ended up, and Moses still ended up, and everybody, in the desert 40 more years, even though they believed, they still had to suffer with the people who didn't. So we'll close with this quote. This is out of Education, page 57. The greatest want of the world, you know this one, is the one of men, men who will not be bought or sold. Do you see how Satan attacks today? How many are feeling the pressure to compromise their conscience, their beliefs, their principles for a gift card, ability to travel or keep their job? Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. How many of our leaders, whether in government or in our own church, are willing to respect the conscientious choices of others Or are they willing to pressure and coerce, to force, to intimidate, to advance what they believe is right? Is this honest and true? It is not honest and true. The Holy Spirit does not do that. God's people do not practice this method. Men who in their inmost souls are honest and true. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. It is a sin to violate God's laws, and God's laws are design laws, including the law of liberty. When you compel and coerce, compelling power sound only under Satan's government. Men whose conscience is as true to the duty as needle as the needle to the pole, who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. True to what duty? Isn't it true to God to live out his methods, to reveal his character, to have his law be supreme standard of conduct on how they treat others? How do we become such people? Notice the next, and we're almost done. But such a character is not a result of accident. It is not a genetic happenstance. This is not an accident of birth. It's not a biological random constellation of genes. This is not how a character comes. Character not be created. It has to be developed. But such a character is not a result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence, with a capital P, endowments of God. 
Such a noble character is not the result of God playing favorites. Of God, uh, God does not choose to magically endow some with mature and strong character and others with feckless, waving character. No, each person develops their character by the choices when they face temptation, when they face trials. Our characters are not, our characters are not developed in the good times, but in the furnace. In the heat of spiritual battle, when the hammer blows of the enemy falls upon us, and we, that's when we lean into Jesus. It's when we choose to resist the pull of fear, reject the actions of the selfish, say no to the survival drives. It is when we love instead of hate, forgive instead of harbor resentment. It is when we live the truth and leave others free rather than seek to compel others that we develop noble character. Or instead... We can choose the fear, choose to act selfishly, choose to advance the cause of force to compel others and develop a different character. Continue with the quote. A noble character result of self-discipline, of subjugation of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self to the service of love to God and man. Each of us right now in this world in this COVID crisis, is deciding who we will trust, what methods we will practice, and how we will treat others, thus what character we develop. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your methods, your principles, which you revealed in in Jesus. And we thank you that your spirit is working in hearts and minds. We thank you for friends like Charlene who have faced terrible ordeals and tragedies, yet leaned into you and received your spirit and your presence and your love. Lord, we all need that presence. We all need that love. We all need the power of your peace and the wisdom to know how to act when the trials hit. In our own strength, we know we'll collapse. We'll, we'll be crushed. But we praise you that we will never have to face these trials in our own strength. We ask now at this time we bring more people to this cause and more people to share this message around the world so that more can be brought out of the dark systems of this world into the light of your heavenly kingdom. We pray in your holy name. Amen.